Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Casuals Only Football Podcast. Today is Friday, December 11th. A little bit later in the week than we normally record, but hey, we're still coming to you live, bringing you some hot football talk with your hosts per usual every week, Mike Speranza, Josh the Ace Ace Avito, and myself, Kenny C. A little preview of what we're going to talk about today is Wentz, Carson Wentz being benched for Jalen Hurts, and our reactions to that. Our reactions to that, Mike, you know, you know his uh his take right there. But uh second topic is gonna be should we have faith in Baker Mayfield? Hell no. Third is gonna be which fantasy football players player is a solidified starter. Uh, Mike and Ace called L's. And lastly, our three <laughs> wildcard teams from both conference. Gentlemen, how we doing? Doing good, even though my team caught a loss this week, but it's okay because Brown up. Baker's the 11-0 team of all time. I'm doing great, Ken. All right, fellas. And uh, even though Mikey caught a bad L, Ace team caught a bad L, my team won. <laughs> We're going to kick it off with the team that was defeated by my team in the Philadelphia Eagles in their quarterback situation. Carson Wentz benched. For the Rook, Jalen Hurts. Ace, kick us off. So, all right. So, I'm starting this one off right here. As Kenny said, Carson Wentz has been by far having his worst season in the NFL. A couple of stats to bring up to you. His career high in interceptions with 15, the league leader in that stat. His career low in completion percentage with 57.4%. And he leads the league in getting sacked. 50 times so far throughout the NFL season. Obviously, those two stats are stats you never want to lead the league in. Yes, there has been a ton of injuries on this Eagles roster, which I would give Wentz a little bit of room for that and a reason why he's played poor this season. But at the end of the day, the shoulder, the responsibility lies on the quarterback. If your O-line is injured and bad, you got to know that. You have to throw the ball away. You got to get out the ball quicker. There's been tremendous injuries throughout this whole team, like I really just said. But you can't hold on to the ball and play hero ball like we know Wentz does all the time. This is why he's throwing interceptions. It's why he's getting sacked. This is not how you win football games. For a quarterback who signed a massive extension of four years, $128 million, he is playing like quite a bad quarterback, which I do not get the move of benching him for the sake that his contract is so much. And what are you going to do with this contract going forward? Are your plans going to trade Wentz? Is the plan to let Jalen Hurts ball out? Because if Jalen Hurts does play well throughout the rest of the season, you got a massive problem in your hand. It is a very bad situation for the Eagles to be in because, you know, Wentz has had weapons in the past and still he was the MVP candidate. But ever since that season that they won the Super Bowl in, Wentz has been downplaying for the rest of his career. The, the, last, the next three years after that moment have all been subpar seasons for what we expected out of him. So I'm surprised by him getting benched, but I think he deserves it. Now, the optimal scenario for the Eagles would be that when Wentz gets benched, hopefully it lights a fire under him that he's able to perform at a high caliber again. But – as he got benched at the Super Bowl, I just don't think he mentally has it. I mean, we talked about this before in our topic of Goff versus Wentz, and Mike brought up a great point that I think a lot of this stuff is mental because he's a very gifted athlete just underperforming after that Super Bowl run. 
And with that, I'll give the topic to Mike. I, I think they made the right choice uh, benching Wentz for a couple of reasons. You're looking at a quarterback who clearly doesn't have any confidence right now for position that requires a lot of confidence and mental stability. This situation wasn't going to get any better for Wentz this year with all the injuries they have on offense. More importantly, there was a lot of capital invested in this quarterback group. He spent a second-round pick on, you know, essentially for the majority of the season on a backup quarterback. So you have to see maybe if there's anything there with Hurts. Plus, you know, let's say Hurts shows something or plays better than Wentz. They can trade Wentz. Right now, Wentz is at his lowest value. And if they keep trotting him out there, it will only decrease his value even more. I think they'll be able to get a second or third rounder out of him. And if Hurts, he struggles, or the problems around the quarterback get highlighted even more, then once his value will go up a little. And that's assuming they're even looking to trade either of them. I don't know why you wouldn't. Like I said, they invested a second round pick on Hurts. And a struggling, defeated quarterback whose four-year, $100 million contract hasn't even kicked in yet. So they need to figure out what they have and who's going to be their guy. That They can't let this situation unfold in the 2021. Yeah, to, to start this off, I think, you know, I'm gonna, in agreement with Mike here that they made the right move in benching Wentz because Ace gave us the stats point blank, you know, leading the league in interceptions, being sacked the most times. And obviously a big part of that is the fact that this O-line has this coming this Sunday against the Saints, their 12th different O-line combo in 13 games, which is pretty crazy. The amount of injuries that they had on that line, it's undoubtedly that it's undoubted that Wentz is not going to have a lot of time in the pocket, but at the same time, alluding to what Ace said again with, you know, him playing hero ball, Wentz just is trying to do way too much this season with the interceptions and the fumbles. It's like him and him and Daniel Jones, not, not the Jones of late because he cleaned it up, but early on into the season to the midway point, him and Wentz were playing catch with each other. Him and uh, Jones are playing catch with each other for who's going to turn the ball over the most. And Wentz has taken the lead in that, in that category. And I just think that it's time that you give Hertz a shot instead of us seeing little flashes, little glimpses of him out in the wildcat or out wide at wide receiver and, you know, just being used as a decoy on a play and finally getting him some experience because this team, while they're only a game, game and a half back, I don't see them beating out Washington or the Giants for the division. So, hey, let let Hurts get some reps in. He looked pretty good when he came in against Green Bay. And another thing I'll say in quote defensive wins because like I just said, I do think he should be benched, but they're not running the ball effectively. And it's evident when you have Miles Sanders and Boston, Boston Scott that hurts will help with that. And you have a very porous defense in green Bay. They didn't try to run the ball at all. They didn't try to establish the run all. Now I know green Bay is an electric electric offense and could put up points against you, but we saw it against Seattle as well. Wentz led, led the game and rushing. You got to try to do something with that to try to help Wentz out. But I mean, the argument of he doesn't have weapons is invalid to me because the young guys that they have have stepped up big and Rager and Fulgham and the list goes on with Goddard and Ward. So all in all, 
Another good point that, that Ace uh, made is that they're paying this guy big bucks, and you know it, it may end up being a waste for them with the way that he's played the past few years, injuries included. But that's my take on this. They have to see what they have. That you know, they yeah. They, they I think we're all in agreement. Ace, you can even agree that. Wentz has to sit for the rest of the season. Oh, I agree. I just said, like, the situation is very tricky because of that contract. And if they want to trade him, some teams going to have to take on a lot of money. I think, oh, for the, sure. I think the Colts are the best the best situation for Wentz. Frank Reich, familiarity, and they have, yeah. the, and they have the cap space. And, and Rivers is gone soon. Who knows if Rivers will be there next year. And like the old saying goes, if, if, you, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. And with that being said, we're going to move on to another quarterback, Baker Mayfield and his 9-3 and three Browns. Should we have faith in Baker Mayfield? I'll say this flat out. No, not at all. The Browns' success to me rides on the play of this quarterback. You have an A1 line. You have the weapons. You have the backfield, the defense, everything around you. Stefanski doing a great job as a first-year head coach. Haven't had a competent coach in quite some time in Cleveland, and now you finally have that. So this all comes down to the fact that Baker needs to play more consistently. If he's going to fold like a cheap deck of cards when pressure comes at him, like we've seen be the case throughout the season, then they're not going to get very far. But if he's going to step up in clutch time and give us flashes of the high-performing Baker from Oklahoma – and even the Baker that took over in his first rook, first year rookie year and turned that Brown season around, then maybe we'll have some, some hope for this team overall. But for me, he's just far too inconsistent to have faith in him. As of late, he's hot. But if you look back on the season so far, you look at game f- in uh, week five, they narrowly beat the Colts. Baker has two picks and a fumble in that one. Week six, he's got two picks against the Steelers and a blowout loss. Then he goes three straight weeks from week eight to week 11 without a single touchdown pass. And I'm looking at it from a pure production standpoint here. And just to me, he's just way too iffy. You can't go game after game without throwing a single touchdown pass and expect your team to win. I mean, your backfield could carry you evidently, but when we're talking about playoff football, your quarterback needs to come through. So who knows? We might see Mint Baker Mayfield and he'll keep the streak of playing hot. Or we could see the inconsistent Baker Mayfield that we've seen for a majority of the season. That's my take on it, point blank simple. Sunday is for the irrational and dramatic takes. Monday is for the logical takes. We didn't learn anything about Baker that we didn't already know. He didn't do anything spectacular this game. That touchdown early to Landry was maybe his best throw. He did a good job looking off the safety, but – Landry ran an amazing route, left Malcolm Butler in the dirt. This past game, I thought it showed more what a great offensive coach Stefanski is. Baker had a lot of defined throws, rollouts, and it was three huge running back screens. He threw it 33 times, and he was only pressured on three of them. You know, going back to watching his throws, there really weren't any plays where you just go, wow, that was a really good play, Baker. He took what was there, and what was there was fairly easy. We can't throw away the past 11 games and say Baker has arrived. He's going to be great. 
We know he gets overwhelmed when pressured. And this past Sunday, he was playing seven on seven. His O-line is outstanding. He has two backs and a deep receiving unit. Stefanski knows what he has at QB. And as long as Baker doesn't throw them out of the game, which he has done before, their offense will be fine. Yes, his stat line looked fantastic, but like I just said, he had three huge running back screens, which is play calling in the backs. He had a double move that beat a backup corner for a wide open TD. That's play calling. Then a big man TD, which is also play calling. All in all, you know, don't just look at the box score and be happy he went over 300. I'm not going to say who did that because you know it's no free shout outs. <laughs> all in all, we shouldn't trust Baker, but we should trust that O line, those running backs, and Stefanski. All right, so do I have faith in Baker Mayfield? Yes, in the terms of what he's asked to do with the best running back duo in the NFL. But do I have Baker Mayfield as a quarterback in general? Absolutely not. Baker Mayfield is the type of player to beat up on the Jaguars and then get really hyped and everyone overrates him and he goes and plays an actual team and does absolutely terrible. Mike brought it up, but like – Boy Bradshaw says the Jaguars. Well, Mike brought up the point, <laughs> and like we talk about it all the time. Hey, Matt Rahman's boy Bradshaw. Oh yeah. We brought up the point that Baker Mayfield has no idea what to do when he's pressured. He always rolls right, and he makes mistakes. In this Titans game that he played, it was without Javanian Clowney, so Kevin Byard playing bad, and it's without Adoree Jackson. That defense is not healthy. He was only pressured three times. Any quarterback in the NFL, when they're only pressured three times, is going to have a good game. There's context to his monster game, and credit to him. He did make the easy throw, which you should do. But let's not act like the defense absolutely folded and it was just an easy game for Baker Mayfield. Let's not act that he had such an impressive game that he made tight, contested throws. No, the receivers are wide open. And here's another stat, because he did have 334 yards in, one, in four TDs. He has had four games this season with under 200 yards passing. Yes, it is a running team, but if you're going to win the playoffs, teams are just going to crowd the box against Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You have to do more. And OBJ's out too, and that's going to hurt Baker. I mean, at one side, it helps Baker because he doesn't go Jedi mob and force it to Odell Beckham all the time, but he's going to be without a really good receiver. Baker Mayfield makes mistakes, but if he can calm those mistakes and just be a game manager, that's all he needs to be. But at the same time, it's the same Browns team that put six points against the Raiders, which the Falcons put 45 on. I absolutely do not have confidence in Baker to win playoff football unless he game manages with zero interceptions. And may the force be with you, Baker. We all know the Baker Mayfield cycle. Play like cheeks, the, the underdog mentality. Excuse me, Mike. We're going to keep this PG Beat, for the listeners. Beats an inferior opponent and calls out the doubters and then plays like ass again. So, I mean, we, we all know how it goes. So, no, we should not have any faith in him. We don't have much faith, but, you know, Browns fans, you can get out your, uh, your rosary beads as much as you want and pray that uh, Baker is bestowed upon <laughs> – let me stop. Bottom line is you got to keep your hands clasped and in the praying position if you want Baker Mayfield to play consistently. That's basically all of our takeaways. Baker, you got to play consistent for this team to get anywhere.
Next topic, which fantasy player is a solidified starter for the fantasy playoffs? I've been stuck between a lot of players, and these two, I, I really can't pick one, but I'm going with Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, either or. When they've been healthy, they've been each targeted uh, at least nine times with Mullen starting. And being the only reliable targets in the passing game for the Niners, you know, they have Washington, Seattle, Dallas, and Arizona. I see them as a solid flex or wide, re- wide receiver two plays for the rest of the playoffs. And my guy is one of Mike's boys, Corey Davis, baby. You look at the guy's track record this year. He's having a great year overall. But fantasy-wise, he's got four games of 100-plus yards receiving. And he has a very favorable four games coming up in Jacksonville, Detroit, my team Green Bay, and Houston. In terms of Green Bay, uh, like, a Mike, like Mike told me when we talked before the show, you know, we brought up a good point. Jer Alexander is most likely going to be put on A.J. Brown, leaving Corey Davis a very favorable matchup against most likely Kevin King. Um, so I could see him having a good game there. But overall, when we're talking about clutch time for playoffs, I mean, first week of playoffs, you're going against Jacksonville. I think he's he's going to ball out. Um, and, yeah, all in all, that's my guy. All right, so for me, I'm going to go with Kenny's uh, boyfriend right here, Justin Herbert. And the reason is, is the schedule of teams that he's playing against. If you're going to look at the three out of the four defenses he's playing against are the Falcons, Raiders, and the Chiefs. And while the Chiefs defense is wildly underrated, people act like they're garbage. I would say they're just good middle-of-the-pack defense. But the Raiders and the Falcons have one of the worst defenses against the pass in the whole league. Justin Herbert came off the worst performance I've seen in my life, basically, getting 45 nilled by the new uh, by the um, New England Patriots, and that was disappointing. But fantasy, normally I go by the opposing defense, and Herbert is put in a position, even though these games are meaningless for them, to ball out. All right, Ace, and uh, I'll be rooting for you in the consolation bracket, but uh, <laughs> we'll be moving on. Yo, Kenny, next... my whole team got injured like week yeah, two, Yeah, I'm sorry, Ace. Oh, There's no excuses. I had Kittle, Goff, and Joe Mixon <laughs> out the whole year. 0-5 to start the year, Ace. Uh, I will admit you made a valiant comeback, but it was not enough to beat the mighty Ryan Gutierrez. And I know this isn't no free shout-outs, but he's a part of uh, – our good friend group, so we'll shout him out. Next topic here. Who will be the three wild card teams from both the AFC and the NFC? Ace Vito, kick us off. All right, so I'm going to start off with the NFC right here. And for my wild card teams, going in order would be first the Seahawks. And this is because the disappointing loss of the Giants, which I believe that with the game up, the Rams will have a chance to not clinch the division title, but win the division title. And that pu- pushes down a really good Seahawks team down to the fifth seed. And now with the sixth seed, I'm going to go with no free shout outs, but the Brady boys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> this team has been very disappointing throughout the season, but still I have faith in their defense. If they don't pull what they did against the chiefs again, 
really good solid defense, really great potential on offense, but hasn't really clicked in the way that many fans expected throughout the season. And now for my last seed, the seventh seed in the NFC, I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings. And that is because I have absolutely no hope in the Cardinals. I think they're tremendously overrated. I think anyone that's watched this show knows I hate the Cardinals. Defense is not good. Offense can be great at times. But I chose this based on schedules. The Vikings are playing the Buccaneers, Bears, Saints, and Lions. And the Cardinals are playing as the Eagles, 49ers, Rams. But Mike brought up the 49ers are a very underrated team. And the Rams, I think, have a chance to beat them. So if the Vikings, as long as they go 500 throughout the stretch, they'll win the title for seventh seed. And now for my AFC teams, I'm going to go with the fifth seed, the Cleveland Browns, dog pound, beat the Titans. Wow. You're garbage, but I have all the faith in all the faith in uh, someone who does bad things to women and children in Kareem Hunt. And that's just based on the front <laughs> game. Right O-line. And then for my sixth seed, I have the Tennessee Titans. At the beginning of the season, I, yeah, predicted, you're the They're winning the I division. predicted the Colts to win their division. <laughs> and I'm going to go with that. The Colts schedule have Raiders, the Houston Steelers, and Jacks. And the I meant that was the so they're winning the out. Colts you have the Colts winning out. I have the Colts being the Raiders, the Texans, and the Jacksonville Jaguars taking what, an L possibly to the Steelers. And what about the Titans? Where are the Titans going to go? Jags, Lions. Lions, Packers, and Houston. Hey, okay. let's not act like the Titans barely Wait, whoa, beat the Texans. Gonna so we're no, I have the Titans losing against Green Bay. All right, so then what? They have the Titans. possible loss Colts. against Houston. I think it's a Ain't no possible whoever. loss over. Yeah, uh, you guys barely H. beat the Texans last time. I I'm say, sorry, and you lost to the uh, the Washington football right, fellas, team. Fellas, and y'all fellas. lost to Joe Burrow. Fellas, let's so, keep this on a roll. With oh, wait, hold on. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff Driscoll's calling, uh, almost beating. Uh, uh, we actually won that game. You lost to Joe Burrow. Barely, so. barely. And now for the seventh we're definitely giving the listeners some entertainment with this bickering, but we got to keep it. We got to keep it. The seventh seed, I'm going to pick the Ravens to push it at the very end. They got the Browns, Giants, Jags, Bengals. It could be possible a sweep for them on that series, the four game stretch. And I have them barely edging it out over the Miami Dolphins, which Brian Flores, the coach of the year candidate, very good defense, but I don't have full faith in that offense to pull through that the next four games. They got the Chiefs, the Patriots, Raiders, Bills. I have them losing two games while the Ravens lose one. And if the Ravens clean house, they'll clinch the seventh seed. But I still find it that you're going to have to have a disappointing loss from the Dolphins for that to happen. But I have faith in this Ravens team who has played very poorly this season. Well, there's a reason why this is called casuals only, and you're definitely uh, bringing out the casual. I'm like, simmer down. Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow. For the AFC, (laughs) I have – yeah, who's going to run that division for the next 10 years? For the AFC, I have the Colts, Browns, Ravens, no order for the wild card. I think the Colts will lose to the Steelers. I think the Titans will lose to the Packers, leaving them both 11-5 and with the Titans holding the tiebreaker over them. I have the Browns. I think they're going to finish 2-2 and with losses to the Ravens and Steelers. But, you know, since they're 9-3, and 
Uh, I can't believe we're saying the Browns are nine and three this late in the season. They'll finish eleven and five. The Ravens, I think they're about to get hot. They're getting everybody back. They're getting healthy, and I think they're going to get their groove back. I believe they'll they'll win their next four. I think they're going to win out, and they have some pretty easy games other than the Browns coming up on this Monday. Big blue. The Ravens will win that. For NFC, I think it'll be close. I have the Bucks, Rams, because I I believe they'll lose to the Seahawks when they play them again. And a surprise, I have the Niners winning the seventh seed at eight and eight. Back maybe in our first second episode, I the said the gold. Niners, when healthy, were even better than the fraud Cardinals, who were being talked about as Super Bowl contenders a little while back. <laughs> So I'm going to stick with them. I think they're going to pull it out, and they have the tiebreaker over the Vikings if the Vikings also go 8-8. Eight and eight. So I think the Niners will win. And they, their big game against the Cardinals Week 16, that'll be probably the deciding game for that last seed. They also, you know, like I said, they had the tiebreaker over the Vikings, and I think the Vikings will finish 8-8. Eight and eight. They lost some tough games early on. Their offense is very good, but – Injuries on defense, they just couldn't keep up with it. But, yep, I have the Niners being probably the biggest surprise of the season coming in on that seventh seed. That's a nice that's a nice spicy take, Mike. I like that. So, I'm going to start with my AFC. I got the dog pound. Best rec- – best uh, or first winning record they've had in since the past 13 years. 13 years ago, this team was a – winning record team, and they finally have done it again. The Cleveland Browns, I believe, will be one of those teams that are going to make it in that wild card spot. I think they're going to finish 11-5 as well, 2-2. Two and two. I think that the they'll be able to beat the Jets and the Giants, but the Steelers and the Ravens is going to be hard to do. Um, my next team is going to be the Colts. I think they'll finish 11-5. I think they'll go 3-1. and one. They'll beat the Texans. They'll beat the Jags. They'll beat the Raiders. I think they lose to the Steelers. And my third team is Brian Flores' boys, the Miami Dolphins. We saw the fire lit under Flores as he fought for his players against the Dirty Bengals. And I just love what I've seen him do with this team. We talked about this on past episodes, the fact that um, he took this team that is looked like to looked like it was going to be in a rebuild, and now it's competing for a playoff spot, which is pretty crazy to think about because usually when teams have a boatload of cap space and a bunch of picks, it doesn't always pan out. But it's looking like it's panning out so far for Miami. I think they're going to finish off 2-2. Two and two. I think they lose to the Chiefs this Sunday. I do think they beat Belly's Pats, and I do think they beat the Raiders. But the Bills that they uh, finish off with, I think that's a tall task with the way – Allen and the Bills have been playing. I think they're hot at the right time. But Miami's going to finish out 10-6. and six. And while the Raiders, I do like their offense. Their defense for me is just too inconsistent. And that's why I edged out Miami there for that last spot. Um, and in the NFC, I'm going to go with the fraudulent Bucks and the fraudulent Hawks. I think the Bucs will win out with a very easy schedule in the Vikings, Atlanta twice, and the Lions. So that's a sweep. Seattle, they'll definitely beat the Jets this this weekend. 
or if you're a Seattle fan, you like to hope they will. Um, and I think they're going to finish out three and one. I think they beat Washington, they beat the Jets, they beat the Niners, and they lose to the Rams again. I think McVay just has their number and the way that they controlled them in the last matchup um, and, you know, shut down Wilson, their only real X factor of that team with how terrible that defense is. And my last team, uh, which is painful to say, is the Minnesota Vikings. I think they're going to edge out the Cardinals for the spot. Um, as Mike informed me before the show, uh, I have the Vikings finishing 2-2 two and two and the Cardinals finishing 2-2. Two and two, But the Vikings have the edge, correct, Mike? With the conference record, is it? Over who? The Niners? Over the Cardinals, yeah. Over the Cardinals. Uh, yes, they do. If they're both 8-8, eight and eight, the Vikings have that. Yeah, so I think they're going to be able to beat the Lions and the Bears. Oh, my. Lions, Tigers, Bears. But the Bucks and the Saints, I don't think they're going to win that. But listen, man, if you got Dalvin Cook rumbling and getting 30 carries a game for 100-plus yards and you have young threats in Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, that offense looks pretty potent and the defense will pick up the slack, I feel like and be able to be that last team that gets in in the NFC. And, fellas, we still have some time here. So if you guys want to talk about that absolutely embarrassing but yet hyped for Jets fans ending to that Jets-Raiders game, I'm going to kick it off here and say for those – of you out there, I'm not naming names because we don't really give – we don't give shout-outs in the show unless it's deserved. If you think that Greg Williams was tanking for the New York Jets, you are horribly mistaken. Why the hell would a guy who's guaranteed going to get cleaned up at the end of the season and did so after this game, why would a guy that knows he's going to lose his job tank to get a quarterback that is going to potentially play against – his defense, if he were to get a defensive coordinator position with another team, I don't think that's happening now with his bonehead call. And I watched, I saw a video on Twitter. Hey, uh, Coach, Coach Williams, what's your favorite defensive call to make? Cover zero. Cover zero, all out blitz. We know the guy's track record. He's reckless with his play call. He's one of those old school style guys that believes in the old school way of we're going to do what we do. And if it works, it works. But with the Jets, you don't have that type of talent to be doing that at the end of that game. Rushing seven, all of them were picked up. Carr makes an easy throw to Henry Ruggs, the fastest guy in the field, and you have an undrafted rookie in Lamar Jackson, not the damn quarterback, the cornerback who's 10 yards off and still makes a horrible read on that play. I'm sure Ace, Coach Ace will break that down. But all in all, this is not a damn tank. That's just a bonehead call by Williams. And the tank for Trevor is still alive, even though it wasn't intentional on his part. Uh, so that was an absolutely terrible call for the sake of anyone who watches or has played football that I've seen in a while. Yes, Derek Carr was 0 for 8 against the Blitz, but let's not act like Derek Carr did not absolutely throw a dime to Nelson Aguilar at the back of the end zone. It was off by a little bit but still a very catchable ball the previous play. There was around, correct me if I'm wrong, but like 15 to 20 seconds left in that game. With are you no blaming Greg Williams for that for that play too? Or are you, who are you no, blaming? No, I'm, I'm saying for the, the last play of the game, the 
blitz everyone. And the Aguilar them. one, the safeties just got flat out burned on that. But I'm just saying, he still made a good throw. Like, Derek Carr is a good quarterback. I think he's massively underrated because his underperformance in previous years. But for the sake that this corner that also jumped on the double move, what are you doing? You realize they got to get in the end zone to score a touchdown. What are they going to do? They'll catch the out route. They have still one more play left in the game to throw a touchdown. Your priority in that situation is play the sticks. Don't play the 10-yard out. Play the touchdown. That's what you're taught to do as a defensive back. And for the sake that you're going to have no safety help on one of the fastest receivers in the game, it's just absolutely absurd that you would let that happen. You know, good for the Jets so they can get their pick. Jets fans are probably happy with that result. Sorry is to say to be, I think, 0 for 12 now. But just overall, a terrible play call. I don't think it was on purpose. I just think this coach had a mental brain fart thinking that you're going to leave a really fast corner on an undrafted cornerback, and hopefully things will go right, which is stupid to think about. You know that you're really down bad when you're rooting for your own team to lose. I will never understand that. (laughs) Build a culture, get a win. These players aren't going out there to lose. The coach, the the coaches aren't going out there to lose. We know, if anything, we know Greg Williams. We know, you know, who he is. I wouldn't be surprised if this was some sort of, you know, power play, you know, just to get back at the coaches in the locker room. We don't know. You know, we heard him and Gase kind of throw subtle shots at each other in some press conferences. But mm-hmm. I'm actually going to have to disagree with both of you. I don't really hate the call at all. We know, like you said, Kenny, the video, he loves covers you but there's also situations when he's, you know, he's called the same play during other games in the past. He obviously likes the blitz. And you know what? And it's not even that bad of a call. There's 13 just, They don't have the talent for that, though. They have – well, What pass rusher is going to get there? Well, when you're running cover zero – you're blitzing pretty much everybody. You're leaving the middle. You have everybody else in the back end, man on man. What they did was, and give Carr credit, he saw it, he checked into max protection, and they were able to block it up. The corner is taught to play cover zero technique. The ball should have been out on that out, and he got beat on the double move, and Carr also made a really good throw. Yeah, it definitely was a good read. But in cover zero – the pressure's got to get home. Carr had time to run up in the pocket and make that throw. The corner's expecting the ball to be out. And honestly, if they're just playing some prevent, that's you know you have a better chance to get like a 20-yard play and get out of bounds. With the blitz, you know you keep the middle of the field wide open. Yeah, but there was only five seconds though. There was 13 seconds, and if you make I thought there was five on the last you know, throw. It, well, there was. It yeah, started no with 13. But with, and they had no timeout. So if you run a blitz, and if which they did, and you force them to throw it in the middle of the field, you got to you know trust in your guy to make a tackle one on one, and then what? You they they're scrambling to get to the line to run off another play. It's not a horrible call. It give credit to Carr for making a great throw and to checking into max protection to pick up the blitz. The O line picked it up really well. The blitz just didn't get home. If the blitz gets home and they throw it over the middle and they don't get, you know, back to the line in time, then it's seen as a great call. I don't – I really don't hate the call at all. For and me, like I said, And like just... I said, hold on. And like I said, the corner is taught to play, you know, whatever technique, whatever the coverage is. 
just cover zero technique. He doesn't expect a double move to be there. So that's my take. I don't. I really don't hate the call at all. It's just poor execution. I just. I just don't like the call because Williams is just a bonehead in general with his past decisions, and it doesn't always work out like that. So I just feel like. But like I said, the if Jets, they had got it and they, it worked, then it, it would have been a great call. Have that overall talent on defense, though. I just feel like just play it safe, bro. Like obviously these players are playing to win, but at the end of that game. You're not gonna. You know, I I just don't see the the Jets' talent beating the blocking there. Well, I don't me, think the Raiders also don't have insane talent on the outside. True. So, I mean, it's like I said. I just think if, it was they, fairly balanced. You if know, they like, had if they had like two timeouts, the Raiders, then I would say it wasn't a good call. He, he wanted to get the ball into the middle of the field, make a tackle, force them to, you know, because then if you just play prevent, you kind of give them two plays. He want and like I said, at the end of the day, Carr checked into the right protection and he made a really good throw. It was a great play by Carr. My problem with it is like I do think it wasn't the smartest coaching decision, but on the cornerback side of the play, like yes, he's in cover zero technique. I firmly understand that, and he did not expect the QB to have that much time to throw the ball. But at the end of the day, you got to know you're down to distance. You got to know that. They need a touchdown here. They have a max one or two plays left in the game with zero timeouts. And when you're biting so hard on the 10, was it 10 or 15, a 10 or 15 yard out route, they can score the ball. So for me, it's a bad cornerback play. Well, regardless, if he doesn't bite on it, then he's giving him an easy 20 I mean, yard out. Dude, and then the time facing... is, and then wait, hold on. And then, like I said, you give him a nice 20 yard out and they get to not run another play, which is at like what, they're 20? It wasn't a bad call. It was a great play by Carr. But Carr you're and facing a great the fastest the dude on the field. You had to expect he was going to wasn't like he wasn't like wasn't like he was pressed. And like I said, no one he doesn't. You're not going to expect a double move running cover zero. The blitz should have gotten home, and it didn't. And they blocked it well, and Carr made a great throw. <laughs> That's what you're taught. None, to play, the, play the technique based on the coverage that is being called. Nonetheless, for the New York Jets fans, they should be seeing Trevor in, in gangrene colors at the end of the year. And, gents, that wraps up another episode of the Casuals Only Football Podcast. Kenny C., Mike Speranza, and Josh C.C. Savito will be back next week. Thank you. Hold on. <laughs>